0: Well, come to splunk talk the only podcast that's all splunk and no junk i am birch
1: here's my co-host i'm how and i was thinking what if we had a theremin you know and we would play it as you go up and down I, is a
0: theremin like one of those secret smells
1: no 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 th theremin oh theremin. it's an old uh instrument one of the I think of it as the first synthetic instrument. I don't know if it was or not, but it it sounds like a electric slide whistle. Oh. And so woo, you would like old, I don't know, like like movies in the 50s or maybe even older, they, they wanted to create some spooky sound. They use a yeah. the theremin.
0: Oh, I am going to look that up. Also, if anyone has any theremins, not pheromones. No. Um, Uh, then uh, we will happily accept your old theremins for silly ridiculousness in our recordings. Um, This is episode 40 of season two, The Docho. And uh, today we're going to have Brian Burns join us. Uh, But before that, we always like to catch up with what's going on. Mr. Hal, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay, man. I am. uh, I mean, we're in the new year. It's, you know, everything is, is new. There's a new year. Um,
2: <laughs> you just said new year see, three new different ways. In <laughs> um,
1: you know, I'm just kind of taking this, this thing and this thing and put them together in the new year. No, um, it, at, on the home front, like my remodeling that had been going on for months, unending oh. um, is actually over with, with one tiny minor exception. And it's great, man. We're like moving furniture back in and all that stuff. So it's like a big load off.
0: That must be nice. I saw some pictures. They look really nice. Yeah. Yeah. We're happy. Uh, I uh, Yeah. On
1: the tech front, I'm just like rolling with the changes because they come hot and heavy at Splunk, you know, in January. So,
0: Yeah. We like to move fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I will also acknowledge uh, this is episode 40. There's a chance that this comes out before episode 39. Uh, In episode 39, 39, we had a lot of fun talking about some things that we then decided we don't want to release yet. We want to leave it stewing and build some excitement.
1: What if we release this as thirty nine and call that one forty?
0: But in the episode at the beginning, I mm-hmm. say what the episode is, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. it's imprinted, it's branded. Okay, with that now, all right. And clearly, I can't edit and switch them.
1: What well, would would you backdate the episode so release it out of order? But yes, if you backdate it, then it'll show up in order in people's podcast feeds. I would think.
0: Yes, I I found a little hacky hacks. I think if I if I upload them, okay, in the correct way and okay. blah blah blah. Um, well, what do you
1: what have you been up to?
0: Well, I I know like last week you had last week last recording you had a really cool unboxing video, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I I told Hal not to eat during the recording and he's still no, go has in front of him so he can't help himself. Look, so didn't... I thought today I would do an unboxing. Okay, okay, okay. So. Uh, I'm gonna. Do I am gonna unboxing.
1: move my lunch so that I can't see it. That'll probably prevent that problem. Later. Oh, okay. Okay, you carry on. I'm, I'm okay.
0: Gonna... So here's my unboxing. It's it's so not exciting, uh, but any like tech person is probably gonna find this so dorky uh, and wonderful. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, also, I'm realizing for anyone watching the video feed, I did not directly connect my video to my computer, and that's probably why it's a little choppy. But. Hopefully that doesn't uh cause any issues for anyone today. Anyway, uh Hal, would you please read You might want
1: to turn off your blurring of your video because it's gonna zoom is gonna
0: Oh okay. not
1: let me see the things.
0: Yes, I, I well hold on. Let's see if it let's see if I can. What if I put my face next to it?
1: <laughs> no, it's just gonna be weird. Can you figure out what it is? Um duster. Electronics duster. Did you get a case of it? <laughs> a case of what, Hal? A case of what? Canned Just air. in case
0: people aren't watching,
1: case of canned air. A
0: case of canned air, twelve cans of air. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, I think any any tech person who has uh, the respect <laughs> of cleaning their computer and devices yeah. could appreciate.
2: I, I'm actually I mean, out. Like you're I, out. I, yeah. I That's the
0: thing. My... You're always out. I'm always out yeah. of air. Yeah. Isn't that so weird? I was like, let me buy in bulk, so then mm-hmm. I don't feel stingy about using it, yeah. and I can stop being out of air.
1: Yeah. Isn't that weird though? I mean, like it's the whole, it's the atmosphere is just like around us.
0: Unless you live in Druidia in the movie Spaceballs. <laughs> Good one. Because then, then you're, yeah. Then your air is being sucked out.
1: Yeah. Uh, I need to watch that again. It's been a while.
0: But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone uh, continuing the dorky, like if anyone's ever tried using the, um, they have now like USB powered electric um blowers. What I was reading online, like they're not mm-hmm. as powerful and you kind of want, want the power to get that, right. kind of, that dust off without touching anything. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I guess, guess I'm going back to the disposable ones.
1: Yeah. Oh, well.
0: So again, this is Splunk Talk, the only podcast that's all Splunk and no junk. And that's clearly what we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes.
1: We could talk about Splunk.
0: Let's talk about Splunk.
1: Okay. Do you have any news in the developer world and kind of like your I- area?
0: While I think about if there's news in the developer world, would you Slack our guest and just make sure that they because I forgot to do that before we started.
1: Mm, well, just
0: make sure that they're they're still on board because I shut off my my chatting approach. I could. I could. Yeah. So um in the developer world, what's going on? Well, um, a lot of cool stuff is going on. Uh so I am uh in charge of this developer success program. Uh and we're really doing a lot of helping be the voice of the developer. And it's so interesting that I'm in that role because when Hal and I first met, Hal went by the name The Lorax because he speaks for the developers.
1: At the time, yes.
0: Uh, And I'm so glad to pick up the pieces of where you left off (laughs) years and years later. Um, But uh, I don't know if anyone's been to Splunk Base recently. Um, but the Splunk based team and the PM, uh, have done an incredible job, uh, pushing out that update, uh, around the end of last year, the Mm -hmm. UI looks really good. A lot of cool, new, um, rich, uh, things that can come through. So on like any Splunk based listing, you can now get more granular with seeing what are like installation instructions or troubleshooting, how to contact the author. Um, and I'm really excited about the opportunity there so that we can just like start to up level. Uh, all the listings that are out there, and provide the authors and editors of those uh, Splunk base items the ability to like, you know, be more clear, be more successful with their their customers. So that is really exciting. Um, we also uh, continue to have the Splunk Cloud Developer Edition in uh, public preview. So that's a uh, like just sort of like almost like a beta, but we don't use the term beta. It's like a preview release. So certain people based on their use cases uh, can be granted uh, access to that. And it's like having Splunk Cloud, Mm -hmm. but you can like test your apps against it.
1: So Yeah, yeah. so you you get access to Splunk Cloud so you can build something great for the ecosystem.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's just been uh, really exciting. Uh, Again, that's a thing that you have to apply for. Uh, You could go to dev.splunk.com to learn more about that. Um, but you can apply for that, and then uh, the PM who runs that project will go through the applications. And if it's a good fit, um, you can be granted that. And um, yeah, it's, it's all really exciting. How about? Nice. Uh, well, you tell me what's going on on your side. I think I'm going to try to switch this uh, this camera over to the computer.
1: All right, you do it. You but, do uh, it.
0: What's What's the updates? What's the happy hap?
1: Well, um, a big part of my job is is kind of tracking new releases that that happened in my area, I, I kind of focus on the, the platform of the of the solutions as opposed to security or, or observability. So the, the pieces that are underneath. And it, it's it's funny though because you have to put your mind in this dual mode of you're working for months with the factory on a thing and then it gets to the customer, you know, and sometimes you know it could be 18 months, you know, before something's out. So when it releases I'm I'm you know kind of in the middle there helping to enable the the sales engineering and the field. So it's kind of like I have to split my brain to say, okay, wait a second, that project there, when did that release, you know, to customers? So um and do you have to like almost
0: pretend because like some things like haven't been released yet, but you're talking about them with people that are allowed to be talked to about it. And do you get a little like you have to do a little mental gymnastics to remember like, wait, what have I talked to you about that I'm allowed to? And what's like new exciting and I haven't?
1: not usually because oh, I'm not fair. I'm not as customer facing as I used to be uh, so this is <laughs> this is the place where I'm like okay wait a second what can I talk about now yeah um some of the things that roll through the so Splunk uh, cloud and enterprise right the enterprise ships you know uh, one two three four times a year based on uh, various factors and then Splunk cloud ships much more frequently um, and then there's services in Splunk cloud and those ship, they they're not necessarily tied to a cloud release. They could be, and then we've got other things like I don't know Splunk Mobile, um, where they're totally out of band. So it's it's a bit of I mean it's fun. It's fast moving, but it's a lot to keep Apple with. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's just not kind the,
0: of it's not the same small company that we started in. You yeah, know, where it was that's like the point. Yeah, one primary product, a couple premium apps, and like you generally because you knew the platform you could speak to any of the things and now we've got you know all these acquisitions and um Mm -hmm. so many different platforms that are consolidating and and moving and morphing and Mm -hmm. um yeah a lot more exciting a lot a lot more stuff to keep in the bread space yeah i think and the one
1: that's worth um highlighting though is is probably data manager that's probably one of the cooler ones um data manager okay uh okay uh because it's kind of like. We took a problem of collecting data in the cloud from cloud data sources, and we stopped doing it the way that we were doing it. And we came up with a new architecture, Mm -hmm. and that new architecture, it just makes a lot of sense. So, for example, if you need to get data from AWS, you you have a lot of uh, servers there, and there's some firewalls in there, but the firewalls are not run by, you know, there's not like a a firewall device that you're managing. It's an AWS service, right? Mm -hmm. So, how do you get the logs? They have ways, um, but there's a lot of complexity into getting that data from AWS, and there's work involved in That's doing That's how you get
0: that. the logs, right? you got to spend right. some Right, and then
1: you've got an add-on, and you're scheduling that add-on and, and all this stuff. It's just a lot of work. Well, Data yeah. Manager does a great job of making that work easier, um, and it's a cloud service, so it's just a, a better way to run it. Um, that is it data manager is it new to everyone um you may not have used it if you're if you're not in Splunk cloud it's kind of a reason to check it out honestly um because it but it was in preview f- since i don't know like um late 2021 or something but it it came out in um .com time frame so i guess april wow. of this past year and then they kept adding to it so that's actually the cool part where this is something that's it's just got this path of of innovation and it's not inside of the you know, it's not inside like of Splunk D. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, but you know they'll they'll add um, GCP to the mix. They added uh, you know Azure to the mix. So it's kind of these bringing new pieces online, and then they did um, a bunch more with um, S3. So now there's ability to um, kind of push S3 logs. It. So it's just a bunch of cool. I'm sorry, pull S3 logs. Yeah. in.
0: Nice. So uh, Brian just joined us. Brian, we were just talking about Data Manager, uh, but we're happy to pivot from whatever boring stuff Hal is talking about to whatever super cool exciting stuff you have to share with us. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so uh, welcome to Splunk Talk. Uh, we Welcome to what,
1: Splunk also.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And that's usually what we like to start with is what we sometimes stupidly call uh, your origin story. Uh, and we'd love to hear yours like Tell us, tell us. You know, I, I, I think you just came on board through an acquisition, if I'm not mistaken. Perhaps your T-shirt that says Twin Correct. Wave, Twin Wave, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, would love to hear. You know, tell us about Twin Wave twelve, and we'd love to hear about you as a person. What makes Brian so cool? Besides the alliteration on the name, like you could be a comic book character, like Peter.
2: Parker. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we came on board Splunk about two months ago. Uh, We were acquired. Um, Twinwave was a company that I started with two other co-founders, Mike Horn and Will Metcalf. All three of us had been working at Proofpoint together. Um, And we started Twinwave to solve a problem that we felt was really uh, an unsolved one out there, which is that SOC analysts have a lot of things to analyze. It's a really hard problem. And the tooling available to them was not up to snuff. They would have to cobble together all sorts of open source tooling. They'd have to do a whole bunch of things on their own. It ended up being really laborious, tedious, uh, repetitive, things that really smart engineers hate. Uh, And so we built a platform that would hopefully automate as much of that as possible so that we could surface those things for them to then use their sort of intelligent creative brains to assess and figure out how to react to it. Uh, so were
0: so you, go ahead. Were you were you guys like living this life, or were you, you know, like, hey, I'm I'm kind of I've been doing this for a while and I I'd like to try something new and exciting and like let's try to start a company together. Or, you know, was it like your pain and like you, you know, how did you the founders, how did you create that? And the reason I ask is like this is an interesting time. Some would say this is a great time to start a company because there's there's so much great talent kind of returning to the bench which is a nice way of putting it um and the investment is kind of thinning out which actually means a great time to incubate so once you have a proven idea and the investment money is there you can you can strike on it um, mm-hmm. how, how about for, for you all like how long how long ago did you do that and what motivated yeah
2: so we we founded twin wave ooh, like almost four years ago um It was a lifelong dream of mine, for sure, to to found my own company like Founder CTO is something I always wanted to do. Um, (laughs) I just didn't have the right idea and I didn't have the right co-founder. And so it it all sort of came together about four years ago where we had an idea. The three of us were kind of ready for the next challenge. We all really liked working together. I feel like we complemented each other extremely well, the three of us. and so it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, yeah, let's go do this. Um, and it was it was fantastic. I, I really had a great time. Um, and I agree. I think now is now is uh, a great time in that um, there's a little bit less noise out there, right? There's there's not a ton of VC money flooding the market where there's a ton of competitors with really terrible ideas. I think if you have a really good idea and you can prove that that idea is good, now is a great time because you're not going to have as, quite as much competition out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Did you find? Um... So going back to the, the key idea there, um, what was in the market already that was insufficient and kind of like, you know, p- poke further into the technology that you went into?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the commercial offerings were pretty much non-existent whatsoever for, for this particular problem space of tooling to help a security analyst uh, analyze potential threats, right? Whether that be like phishing email or a URL, that sort of thing um soar sort helps right like soar is a, a great technology Splunk was already
1: um had, had Splunk acquired Phantom by the point that you' all got started or not do you do you happen to know
2: probably um yeah probably maybe like right probably around time. but not um, not very long soar is a great technology I'm a huge believer in soar and twin wave works best with a sore we're, we're not um trying to duplicate that but so, SOAR is great at um, orchestrating all these different technologies to bring them together, right? Like, let's say you have a phishing email, there's probably 10 different technologies that you want to farm different pieces out to to do analysis. But each of those pieces, in some ways, was a little bit lacking. And SOAR is, Soar is great at being a general purpose solution, but there's kind of a need for a really specific vertical solution for some of this kind of analysis. And happy to talk about why that is later. Um, But yeah, there were just kind of not really commercial offerings out there. There are a couple open source projects that sort of, that's kind of our competition is some open source projects. But again, you know, open source has sort of like a high cost of ownership and they were really very file focused and didn't have anything at all on the website. And that's actually where the majority, I think, of our customers' threats are is on the website, like phishing websites and really complicated web-based attack chains that end in malware.
0: You you mentioned... um you know the things that were out there that I'm just curious like I want to hear more about the vertical thing that you just teased us with but um did you did you have another business idea like so many people that start businesses like a, like oh we're going to we're going to just like deliver you know food and groceries and stuff and then they're like actually this is pretty saturated and they pivot to like alcohol or something and you know like did you have to do any of those types of pivots
1: we oh did. yeah, it <laughs> was just the first idea or the second or the seventh. <laughs> yeah.
2: In some ways it was the first idea, but it definitely evolved over time. Like that first idea that we had is pretty different from what we ended up shipping because as we went along the way and we engaged with customers and saw exactly the kinds of problems they were having, we, we had to evolve the product absolutely. And we had to re-architect a little bit along the way.
0: So would you say like the, the pain point you were trying to solve was, was, is still the same. It's just the way you're implementing it, like evolved as you.
2: Yeah. I think the, the, the problem that we saw change. So when we first started, we thought the problem was, okay. Customers have all these different technologies that they want to tie together and unify it in one pane of glass, which is a little bit like a sore, but we were doing more data parsing. So like our initial customer had nine different sandboxes that they had purchased. And they wanted to farm out their analysis to these nine different sandboxes, which is a thing that SOAR could do. But then they wanted to pull all those results back into a single pane of glass, where it would like parse all that data and unify it and merge it. And that's the kind of thing that SOAR maybe doesn't do out of the box. Like It will happily tell you those nine different results, but it's not going to like synthesize all this data together. So that was the first iteration of what we built. Um, And then as we started to um, be exposed to more and more actual live threats, we realized that the real problem was that um, not that you had these nine sandboxes to send stuff to but the stuff that was entering into their pipeline for analysis was not a thing that a sandbox was good at analyzing. Because uh, attackers do not distribute the bad thing directly anymore, because technologies are really good at stopping the bad thing if it shows up in an email. Oh, like um, a
0: virus or something. Like we can tell if there's a virus, but we'd rather, as an attacker, like lure you to get it from us.
1: Oh, wait a second! Before you say it, let me let me do this. Are you saying that the virus, the the malware itself, is now in the cloud?
2: <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, That's... yeah, and it's put behind a bunch of hoops that humans are pretty good at walking through, and that computers are really bad at walking through. Um, So, right, like 20 years ago, uh, people would just email you an executable and have you double-click it, right? And then everyone's like, well, how about we block all executables from coming in, problem solved. And then, you know, attackers are going like, oh, I'm going to put it in a zip file. Okay, now you have to double-click the zip file, then double-click the executable, So there's this constant evolution. But the way it looks right now is it's, they will send you an email with an attached PDF that PDF has a URL in it. If you click that URL, it takes you to like a SharePoint site. That SharePoint site has a button that you click, you click that site, it takes you to another site, you click that site, and then it downloads a piece of malware, or it downloads a Word document that if you enable macros will then go download malware. So there's all these hoops you have to jump through, mm. and sandboxes, if you give them any of those things along the way, will look at that and be like, hey, this looks fine to me. Yeah. Um, when I run this on my Windows operating system, nothing bad happens, and so mm. this seems benign. And so you have to jump through all those hoops to get to that final thing, whether that be the, you know, the word document with macros or the actual malicious binary, then the sandbox is going to be great at detecting that final thing. And that's sort of the problem that we ended up solving for our customers is they had bought all these sandboxes. They, the stuff that they were sending to the sandboxes, the sandboxes were calling clean because there was all these human interaction hoops that needed to be jumped through. So that's what we really ended up building was a vulnerable gullible human emulator who would go do you know click those buttons download the things enable the macros do all that kind of stuff to get to the bad thing and then we would finally send it off to other different sandboxes a little
0: uh dictionary definition here so you use the term uh sandbox i uh very easily can play the person who is ignorant it comes naturally uh so is a sandbox basically a, a system where you're willing to throw anything dangerous at it um, because it's like it's disposable. You can make a mess of it and you'll spin up another one, and that way it's like contained. It's kind of like uh, uh, I was thinking of in Ghostbusters, and they put the ghost into the
1: the, the trap. <laughs> yeah, and
0: no, then no, no, the I don't, I don't know about your yeah. the metaphor doesn't
1: work though. At all. No, it doesn't.
2: Yeah, I don't know what the best analogy for a sandbox is. Um, I mean, it's like
1: a virtual machine, though, right? I mean, yeah. it's a lot of a them black are virtual machine box, yeah, and you can't yeah. get out. So.
2: Yeah, typically, they're going to be a full operating system environment with all the applications where you can detonate something, right? You you run an executable or you open up a document and you watch what happens. And it's they're really carefully instrumented. So they're taking notes on every single system call, every file that gets written to disk, every network packet that gets sent. And at the end of it, they've collected all this information. They run through a bunch of detections and say, oh, hey, this looks like malicious behavior or this looks like benign behavior. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably 15-year-old technology at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty pretty common, pretty popular. Uh, but, you know, the threat actors realize, hey, most of the people we're trying to infect have a sandbox. We can't send them a thing that the sandbox is going to detect. We have to send them something that a human is going to interact with, and then the sandbox is going to miss. Uh, and so, you know, we call that the attack chain. And so TwinWave does a lot of attack chain following where we try to jump through all those hoops to get to something that can then be detected as bad. Nice.
0: So what we're learning is that I am 15 years behind <laughs> on technology <laughs> in the security
2: industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a constantly evolving space, which is why I love security.
1: Well, I mean, going back to the words you used about the, there needing to be a vertical uh, solution, I guess that's kind of what you outlined now. Bert, you're not new at computers. You're not new at software. Definitely yet... I'm not new at computers.
0: <laughs> I just let me put my Windows 3.1 floppy disk into this and I'll boot up and join you.
1: But like it, it's just so specialized. The you know, security is a discipline like anything else where it's it's it just got deep. And if you're not, you know, in it um following, then then that's actually the problem because the I guess the the bad actors, they're innovating every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mouse. What, yeah, what, what did you mean by verticals before? Uh,
2: I guess by vertical solution, I meant that, you know, this particular problem space of uh, um, analyzing threats that are coming in to your employees, especially if they're coming in via phishing, um, the general purpose technologies out there, whether that be like SOAR or Sandbox, are they just a little bit too horizontal and not enough vertical. Like they don't really, they're not targeted to that one specific use case. And so their general purpose solutions, while good, like they tend to miss things. And so oh. we built like a really custom tailored solution to that use case, which is what I mean by vertical there.
0: So okay. so like you, you're like, oh, well, we're going to solve this vertical like soup to nuts instead of being like this is a general person, purpose, like element in your evaluation like yeah you can throw a sandbox and and stuff you can throw it at the sandbox and everything but then like you need something else to aggregate that data and do something with it and right that-
2: exactly like a sandbox is just like a it's a real general purpose like hey throw anything at it and it's going to do its best but when you get to these really tailored use cases they just don't have that logic built into them to to kind of walk it from start to finish and so that's what we were we were building
1: so if I'm imagining here, uh, to go to the metaphors, um it, Splunk is maybe the chocolate and twin wave is the peanut butter.
2: Exactly. The Tell two me... tastes <laughs> that taste great together. Yeah. Tell me
1: why they're better together. Like what was the point? I'm assuming that there was a key thing here that made the two things, you know, more than the sum of the, and um... by the way,
0: My shirt is the color of nougat today. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever that stuff is in Three Musketeers. <laughs> anyway you were saying?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, so we complement a SOAR really, really well. I feel, you know, SOARs are great at orchestrating all these different technologies to kind of run a case start to finish. And, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I feel like TwinWave is the best technology that a SOAR can delegate things to. Um, Yes, delegate it to everything else, but TwinWave is hopefully the crown jewel in, in the list, in your playbook for people um,
0: that are more like IT ops SOAR, what security
2: orchestration automation and response yeah there we go thank you yeah yeah
1: cuz uh, orchestration isn't new that that part's not new and and IT shops have been automating forever and there's frameworks for that but i think what soar brought was some of that specialty needs you know that that the security kind of uh, audience needed and then you came along with another even more specialized part of it okay
2: yeah. I mean, so SOARs tend to be built around these, the idea of a playbook where you have this sort of complex flow chart of decisions and different actions that can be taken. And TwinWave is internalized in some ways, like the most advanced playbook that you could ever write, with uh, all sorts of really, you know, custom built intelligence. And so we just like plug right in the middle of a playbook and can do really cool stuff.
1: So how um, much so we work
2: great with SOAR, like you said, Splunk has a SOAR. And so, I mean, that's one reason why, um, you know, we're great together.
1: So what, um, what is it that you're building? Do you build a sandbox? Do you call them sandboxes? When you're using TwinWave, what is it that the, the end user is doing?
2: Yeah, we, we have a sandbox as part of the platform um, because sandboxing technology is really good. If you want to you know, analyze malware, sandboxes are a great way to do it. We also integrate with third-party sandboxes. So if you have a wildfire, a VMray, a FireEye, any of those things, we'll also happily call out to those in the right spots. Um, and then we have lots of static analysis along the way. So um, let's say for example, that um, somebody submits to us an email message and that email message has a zip file attachment. We'll pull out that attachment, we'll push it into the pipeline for analysis. And then let's say that that is a password protected zip file where you know we don't know the password. We'll, we'll probably try to brute force the password. We'll also go back to that email message and say, hey, are there any words or phrases in that email message that might've been a password? We'll pull those forward. Oh, that's we'll right. our absolute best to crack open that zip file, see what's inside that zip file. Oh, it's a Word document. Okay, we're gonna re-inject that. We're gonna do a bunch of static analysis. We're gonna pull out macros. We're gonna emulate those macros. We're gonna extract out anything that we possibly can from them, like path names or URLs. It's a URL, we'll send it over to our web browser. We'll go visit that website. We'll click around, we'll do a bunch of things. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of different custom built technologies that we built, That then also anytime we see something that a sandbox would like to analyze, like an we'll mm-hmm. send it to the sandbox. So we have all these different engines and, you know, we call it a pipeline. And so we're just okay. constantly okay. taking the output from one engine, pushing it back into whatever engines make sense. And we kind of continually iterate through this process until we feel like we've walked through the entire attack chain.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay. No, that makes sense. So now when I'm thinking the the latest analogy that I'm working up here, and I'm trying to think of how to soften this some, because she's she's really not bad, but I'm like, you've emulated my mother-in-law. She's a great person. She's not great with computers. I love her very much, but I, I and I don't actually need, you know what? And I, I don't have to support her. Her. She's not had a virus in some time, but a couple years ago, you know, since she, she knows of that she knows of. Well, I mean, I'm over there often enough. I mean, I am a good grandson. So you're the son-in-law. Voice. I'm a good son-in-law. Yeah. So are do, do you have, basically, you, you probably got Microsoft Word and you had to work on the automation of Word, you know, as an engine, you know, that you've got to, okay, gotcha.
2: So we'll, we'll both run Word dynamically in the sandbox where we're actually running the real Microsoft Word and seeing what it does. But then we also have our own static analyzers that we know how to parse a Word document, rip out all the different components, and analyze them individually as well. So we do both a static and Mm -hmm. dynamic analysis.
1: So I imagine that given that these things change, the the bad actors are evolving their tactics, you guys can't stop either.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On average, I would say every two to three weeks, they throw something wild and crazy at us that we never anticipated. And sometimes the system takes care of it. Sometimes we have to... Make a bunch of changes um, and and get it shipped out. Uh, It's it's, uh, we're always on our toes, which again, that's why I love security as a as a product Mm -hmm. space. Is that it's not a static problem that you're solving; it's a dynamic problem, and you're really playing against an adversary, sort of like a chess game. Mm -hmm. You know, you make a move, and you wait for them to make a move. They make a move, you have to respond and react, and so you know, probably 50% of our time is spent just analyzing, paying attention, and reacting to what's out there. And then the rest of the time is, you know, forward thinking what other kind of features we could add.
0: Is is this software uh, cloud-based or like is this something? It is
2: cloud-based, yes, which um, allows us to react really quickly, um, which I really like. Um, one thing we pride ourselves on is just being super reactive where you know, we wake up in the morning we see oh my gosh these guys are doing something crazy we never thought about and then hopefully two or three hours later we've shipped out software that now addresses it uh, so you know that next campaign the next morning we're gonna catch
0: yeah and you're not in that world of like okay well hopefully people download this and apply the update like with the new yeah so you can yeah, just- yeah. and we don't have an 18
2: month ship cycle or anything like that we're just really trying to get it out there quickly
0: nice so uh, any, I, I want to hear more about you, Brian, um, how any other product questions before we pivot to the man? Yes. Oh, your microphone went out because you're on mute.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes. yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Did you want them? Yes. Oh, okay. Just making sure. Um, the floor is open. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. I had it. I had one and it's gone, man. Okay. If it comes back up, I'll, I'll let you know. All right. Brian, how how did you get here? What's
0: what's your art story like? Did you go to school for tech, or you self taught? Uh, what what motivated you to put a what appears to be an octopus tentacle decal uh, coming out from behind the bookcase? Yeah. I was gonna
1: ask about the octopi.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, in reverse order, yeah. The octopus is because at some point I had the really clever idea to paint my office this dark blue color which I like, but Zoom has a really hard time metering the light in the room because of how dark the background is. And so I needed to get some more light things back there just so it wasn't constantly like essentially washing out uh, everything in the foreground. So there's like a white picture there. There's a white tentacle, some white sails, just a little bit of like, you know, bounce some light back there.
0: Oh, that's so funny because I definitely have that problem and often have to like move the camera up just so that it doesn't look like we're projecting
2: on my forehead. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you yeah.
1: need you need to to meter your light man i need it
2: yeah uh i live in the pacific northwest it's really dark and gloomy in the the winter like right now and so um it gets pretty dark in this office so yeah nice uh very clever
0: so yeah what what about your academic background and...
2: yeah i went to school for computer science um i um uh, did not graduate. I made it through four full years and did not graduate because I changed what? schools and changed majors. And so I was I was going to be it was going to be like a five year process. And I got a job in Silicon Valley in the dot com boom days. And did you?
0: Did you not? You said you changed the degree at the end. Do at the know, beginning so my freshman
2: oh. year I was going to be a biology major uh because I got the worst advice ever in high school which is like don't go into computers the computer industry is dead you should never go into computers uh okay uh, wow. somebody who always loved computers I'm like oh that's sad okay I guess i will going to <laughs> biology <laughs> biotech is the hot new thing uh so I did a, my freshman year biology I'm like you know what like I think computers are pretty great <laughs> and that's when you know like applets were coming out if you remember that like web browsers were coming out it was like Oh my gosh, this internet thing is going to blow up. So I, I switched over to computer science, but yeah, I lost a year in the process. Oh my uh,
0: god, what a dumb
2: advisor! <laughs> I know, right? Terrible, terrible <laughs> advice. Um So four years in, I got a I got a job offer to go down to Silicon Valley and uh, work for a dot com. And like, this sounds so much more interesting than school. So I peeled off. I did that. I moved down to California. Um, Then the dot com bust happened about four months after I moved down there. Um, so I switched to a security company. That's kind of how I got into security.
0: At, at which point your advisor for that one moment was like, see, I told you. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so it always I think the security thing security, worked out. Uh, especially on like the crypto side. I, find, I find always find cryptography really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a chance to join a security company um, and they were building like the world's first intrusion prevention system. Uh, Like there have been IDSs out there, intrusion detection systems, are things that sit on the network and look at packets and try to find bad network traffic, but nobody had really put them in line to act like a firewall, where if they saw something bad, they would actually block that traffic and prevent it from coming through. Uh, So that company was called One Secure. Uh, So I got to do that. Um, I got to write Linux kernel software code, which... I was like a really big Linux nerd back then. And it was like a dream of mine to write Linux kernel code until I actually started doing it. And then it was terrible. And I never want to do that ever again. Oh no. Uh, but anyway, so I was a software engineer working on this IPS product, and we were about to ship the product and we had zero rules. So if you know anything about like IDS or IPS, it's a it's a technology, but it's really rule or signature driven. You need to have things to look for. So he had built this incredible engine to look for things and nothing to look for. Mm-hmm. And so I was the person who, in like every single meeting, was like, hey, guys, we don't have any rules. What are we going to do about it? So eventually my boss was like, all right, you're going to complain about it. It's now your problem to go solve. Oh, no. Yeah. So uh, I had to go build an analyst team uh, to go um, you know, start writing these detections for this product so that we could ship it. And that's kind of how I started um, with uh, analysis and running analyst teams is I had to go build this team we were analyzing all this malware. And then again, there was just zero tooling available to do any of this kind of stuff. And so, you know, since I had a computer science background I started writing tools for my team. Like I'm gonna keep track of everything that coming in, coming out, help them automate some of the processing so that they can spend their time doing more intelligent things and not just shuttling files around and running commands. Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of the genesis of Twin Wave Is you know, 15 years later, I'm like, you know, this is still a problem that nobody has solved commercially.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah. So where do you get the the new content, as it were? So, you know, what, what is the, there's a, is there a dark web RSS feed?
2: <laughs> there, there essentially is. Yeah, there's a few different really good sources out there um, where you can get sort of up to the minute um, malicious URLs, malicious files. Um, Malware Bazaar is a great one. Um, that's just this big feed of all these malicious files. We have it automated where we grab files from there and submit it to our system. And if we ever don't detect them as bad, then you know that raises an alert and we can go deal something with it. Oh,
1: that's Um, great. That's that's funny because you want the false negatives. Yeah. In that case.
2: Yeah. yeah. Say it again then.
1: So so, a false positive is something that was bad that shows up as good. Actually, maybe I said that wrong. Yeah.
0: False positive is you're, you're looking you're at not a set of sad. known yeah.
1: things that are bad. Yep. And yeah. And anything that goes through that and says that it's safe, you're you know that's wrong.
2: Basically. Yep. So yep. It's a false that. negative at that point. Yeah. Exactly. False yep.
1: negative. Thank you. Okay.
2: Yep. Um. Yeah. So Malware Bazaar is a great source for malicious files. Um. On the URL side, there's you know, um, Fish Tank. Uh, there's URL Scan IO. There's URL House. There's a bunch of different ones. Are um, these like
0: free free sites? And like, the community is just trying to support each other? Or are they like for? Pro- ok,
2: interesting. yeah, yeah, for the most part, um you know, some of them have commercial licensing terms, but some of them are just open and free. Um, but yeah, if you if you ever want a bad thing to go poke at, there's all sorts of free sources out there uh, you can go look at stuff,
0: so it's sort of like the the security community is almost like altruistic in like helping each other protect against these adversaries.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, you know, information sharing and information sharing groups in the security world because uh, it's it's such a hard problem to solve. If you are just your little silo, um, it's almost impossible. And so, um, you know, like, especially like the financial services industry and the healthcare industry, they're really good at all banding together. And even though they're competitors sharing security information so that they can sort of be more safe as a whole. Wow.
1: That's pretty cool. So what is the community um you know is, is there a community around twin wave you know and, and what what do people are? Uh, is there content third-party content for it as well
2: uh there is not um we're you know still pretty small and so we never really got the chance to build uh, much of a community um we do have some people who are we kind of have like a friends and family uh you know account where um you know those people who are super friendly to us and just really helpful uh can, can use it um but uh, yeah, we're we're a little on the early side for for having much of an ecosystem built around Twin Wave.
1: Maybe we'll introduce you to some folks.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> De- definitely. All that will be very different at Splunk, uh, and I'm excited at the opportunities.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. how
0: do you find how do you find your new like role at Splunk? Like, have things changed? Do you find you know now that you're under a larger umbrella, like is there a burden taken off you that
1: is is good or maybe you miss or? And and I didn't know if if I'm supposed to. To bow or anything to a distinguished engineer? I'm I'm actually not sure. Oh <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very much in progress still. Uh, like we've only been here for a couple months, and I spend most of my time actually just making progress towards all that offloading of you know how can Splunk support help support TwinWave? How can Splunk sales help sell TwinWave? All that sort of thing. So uh, I think it's probably going to be a six month process to get to that point where we we've offloaded things, but yeah, I mean it's wild having access to the things that you have at a Splunk scale company that you don't have when you're seven people.
0: Oh man! <laughs> so, and you had worked. Uh, you mentioned Proofpoint. Is that, if I'm not mistaken? So you've worked with Gary before? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, I, I think the uh, the industry has trends, you know, and yeah. we're we're in the middle of a Proofpoint trend, and uh, <laughs> I'm liking it so far. It's working yeah. out great. So. Welcome aboard. i um, happy to have you here, Brian.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, loved working for Gary at Proofpoint and, and really happy to be working for Gary here as well.
0: Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, cool. What do you see as like like looking forward? What What are you excited about?
2: Um, I am really excited to that, see that the, we can
0: talk about publicly.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, you know I'm no, I'm really excited um, at the potential integrations uh, between TwinWave and Splunk um, and the ways that, you know, TwinWave technologies can make Splunk products better, the way that Splunk products can make TwinWave better. Um, You know, like you said, the peanut butter and chocolate, Uh, you know, um, we have, we've made one like delicious peanut butter and chocolate combination, but there's so many more um, that we could do. Um, You know, a lot of our, so, you know, we had, you know, a a handful of customers, um, almost all of them were also Splunk customers already because it's such a natural synergy. Um, And one of the most um, common integrations we would see would be, you know, uh, customers using Splunk to find things to go look at in their data, sending that to the SOAR, the SOAR sending it to TwinWave, us doing analysis, and then ingesting our data back into Splunk for later analysis, and so, you know, until now, it's been kind of a manual process on their part to do some of those integrations. And so I would love to make that a little more streamlined where just out of the box, you know, the best possible way of doing that integration would just be available for somebody with the click of a button. So I, I'd be really excited to build something like that.
0: That's cool. What, awesome. Uh, I, I'm also curious, like, uh, what are what are some of the most popular um, use cases uh, within TwinWave today? Uh, I, I think that'll help, like for me, like, make it, like, a little more real, and, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the number one most common use case for us is employee-reported phishing, right? So, most companies have some way that employees can say, hey, I think this email is a fish," and, you know, for them, typically, that'll flow into a SOAR, and then, typically, a human analyst will grab that ticket and then go do a bunch of analysis and say, hey, is this actually bad? Uh, If it is bad, what does it do? Um, And if it you know, based on that information, how should we respond and react? And so TwinWave is a great tool for streamlining that. Um, You know, the customers that we talked to said that in the past, before TwinWave, it would take about an hour to action one of those tickets, start to finish. And then with TwinWave, it might take 15 minutes or 10 minutes.
0: And it's like automated with TwinWave?
2: Yeah, we automate all the sort of research and analysis part of it so that we, you know, by the time a human analyst comes to that ticket, they have all the information that they might need to then go make that intelligent decision of, okay, how are we going to respond and react? Oh, wow. uh, and then the other benefit of automating that is, you know, oftentimes these phishing sites are only live for a short period of time, right? They might only be up for three or four hours before they get taken down. Oh, and wow. if you have a big sore work queue, it's entirely possible that by the time a human analyst gets around to that ticket, it's too late. Site's already down. They can't do their job. But if you automate it with a SOAR in TwinWave, we're going to go immediately look at it while it's still live. We archive off every single scrap of information, you know, every file that was on that website, every network packet, uh, screenshots of everything, all that's archived in that ticket. So that then later when they go to analyze it, they have everything they need, even if it's already been taken down. Oh, wow.
1: That's really cool. So I, I've I've learned a lot, and um, thanks a lot for this, Brian. This has been okay. um, like a neat way for for us to to learn, and and hopefully the um, our customers and, and community will appreciate the same. Um, what do you think is just kind of in the future of the space generally? Not talking specifically mm-hmm. about Twin Wave, but like where does the you know I, I what I'm thinking about is ChatGPT. Okay, it's been in everybody's minds lately, and I'm thinking, okay, how is it going to affect this, this, this? How is that type of crazy AI year that we had in 2022 any thoughts on that uh, hitting the security space
2: Yeah, that's really interesting um, I think that technologies like chat GPT are like, unfortunately probably more powerful for the threat actors than for the defenders um, oh. because the you know the threat actor has the challenge of coming up with something new every single day that's different from what they did the day before because, you know, security technologies are you know, probably pretty good at catching the thing they did yesterday. And so if you think about like spam or phishing, right, they need to get that email into your inbox. It needs to pass all the anti-spam filters. Whatever words and phrases you used yesterday are probably like gonna be caught by a spam filter. You have to come up with a new way of phrasing something, a new way of stringing together sentences that looks plausible that a human can parse, but that the automated systems are not gonna detect. Chat GPT, unfortunately, is like the perfect system for coming, like generate an infinite number of phishing emails for me that is gonna cause a human to click on it, but is gonna bypass a spam filter. You could probably put that prompt into chat GPT and it would do a fantastic job of yeah. generating stuff. And so I think that for defenders, it's just gonna be easier for attackers to come up with new and novel things that look different um, than they did before, but are still gonna get a human to engage with them. And so I think the bar just got raised for, for us defenders. Wow.
0: That's a scary point you made.
1: I'll I'll leave you with a counterpoint um, podcast. I'll just uh, uh, mention real quick. Econ Lib uh, or Econ Talk actually is the name of the podcast. And they had an episode. It might have been released today. It was um, Ian Leslie on being human in the age of AI. Anyway, the the line I wanted to repeat here was that we should worry less about the lifelike nature of AI and worry more that human beings are being more robotic and predictable. So when I saw that, I was and I've been thinking about all day. It that email is not going to be more lifelike, but the bar that we are accepting out of a computer generated message is maybe too low. You can't fix that quickly like that. You know, we're talking about, you know, billions of human beings here, but like maybe the problem will solve itself a little bit in the sense we'll basically be more skeptical of things we see like that. Hmm. There's no question there, but you know, it, it's like, it's super fascinating to see how this kind of is going to evolve.
0: I love that sort of counterintuitive uh, thinking.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, increased skepticism is ultimately a good thing, I think, for, you know, defense and security posture. If everybody was just a little bit more skeptical when they looked at email messages or text messages, that sort of thing, I think a lot of a lot of attacks would be thwarted. So maybe it's a good thing.
0: I did once work with someone who I sent them a link to something and they were like, you know, I don't open any links in email, right? You're going to have to find another way to send it to me. And I was like, you're very difficult to are at the same company.
2: <laughs> that is, that is the challenge with security is to like, come up with a good threat and you know, um, like to analyze the threats in a way that you can do your job in a low friction way and get the work done, but then not fall for the attacks. Yeah. Um, People get the threat model wrong all the time, and I think never clicking a link is like the little you wrote. You turned the dial up a little too high.
0: It may have been a rule he had only for me.
2: Oh well. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, this was a wonderful episode. Uh, really glad we were able to get you on board here, uh, and not only at the company but also at the podcast uh, to learn more about Twin Wave in the space and you as a human. So. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and happy Splunking.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.